Football's back. Miniature villages can reopen. My daughter's returned to school and the tills are ringing at Primark. And none of which I could care less about because on July the 4th, Jeff, they're letting us back in, they're letting us back in the pub. Welcome to <laughs> Wet and Dry, a podcast about sobriety, male drinking culture, midlife crisis and friendship. And now pubs. Matt, I'm back in your garden. You are very nice, isn't it? We're back together, social distancing, bit of a bit of a building site going on next door and the kids are screaming in there, but we should be okay. Yeah, apologies in advance for the man who's decided to uh, sand the adjoining fence while we're recording this. But um... And also the first plane in about three months has just gone over. I have a feeling that's going to come again. It's funny the noises you've got used to either hearing or not hearing. Like, I mean, it is on a serious point. Going for walks around the common, I'm sure there are more birds than they've ever been. Yeah, of course there are. Which is not why we're here. We're here because uh, we are gathered here today. It's a good day. There was a there was a point in this podcast where we had to say what hour it was because the news was changing <laughs> hourly. I think we're back to days now, but yesterday Boris announced what Chris had told us in the previous podcast. That Heard it here first. You did. Exclusive, wet and dry. That pubs can reopen from the 4th of July. 4th of July. We're back in. I've already tweeted the Rose and Crown. Uh, have, you, have you been in touch? I haven't, but um, I, I, I did look on their website last night. I presume because you've, uh, you've been doing our uh, communications with Chris, that you've been on to him. I did email the Wheat Sheaf the day before Boris announced, saying, love what you've done with the pub, absolutely fantastic. If you were to open on the 4th, what would be the system? Um, so he came back to tell me what the system was and when the booking would be up. But um, So what I'm hoping is uh, we can get kind of a couple of different pubs booked on the 4th of July. Obviously, I'd love to go back into the Rose and Crown first because I feel like you know, that's our spiritual home. And then if there is a restriction on how long you could be. I mean, is, has Chris come back to you? No, not yet. But but from what he was saying in the podcast and what the, from the discussions you've had at the Wheat Sheaf, I think you'll get a slot, probably yeah. two hours. Yeah, so the Wheat Sheaf is two hours, and I think you've got to spend £100 between four of you, so £25 a head. Leads to a question with you coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, well, there's a few things. One, that's an expensive crawl, isn't it? It is. Because the, the tempting thing with a two-hour slot is to go, all right, well, we'll book in the Wheat Sheaf at midday. We'll book in the Rose and Crown at two and then the Cyclist at four. Regent. Exactly. But a 100 quid for every slot, it's an expensive afternoon. It is, and you're drinking a lot because if you're not going to eat in every pub, you're, you're putting back some pints there. And then, yes, the elephant in the room, as I'm often called, <laughs> is non-drinkers. If you're only allowed four of you and one of you is drinking half a Diet Coke. So I was thinking about this last night, yeah. With the pubs going back, and I say I book it and it's going to be busy and I get my table for four, you would have been, you know, you would have been the Harry Kane on the, on, on the, on the team First sheet. First on the team sheet, yeah. You would have been, you know, we drink together, we do a, a, a podcast about drinking. Then I was thinking... There's two things here. The first one is the money. If you're, you know, it's going to be a expensive rounds for you if you're just drinking Diet Coke and maybe one ghost ship. Second one is, am I wasting one of those table spots on someone who's not drinking? Should, even though it's you, should you be in or should you just have to wait? Do you want to know what I decision I came to? <laughs> Should we save that for the end of the podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I want to hear right now. No, trust me, you don't. <laughs> might put me in a fug for the rest of the uh, rest of the episode. But non-alcoholic beer is, is no cheaper. 
So I would probably holding my own in terms of the minimum spend. Can you the quantity though? Can you have eight pints of non-alcoholic? Well, yes, I can, and I'll tell you why. Because the other thing that's happened since our last episode is we've been out for a drink together yep, with friends yeah. in a you know with actual beer poured in a pub with pizza that we ordered from the pub, albeit we had to have it on the common opposite, but. We met the other day, six of us, definitely six of us, not seven if anybody's listening, definitely only six of us. Sat at two metres intervals. <laughs> there was a slightly walk, and I think you were the seventh person to arrive, and, and there was a short discussion as you walked over as to whether we let you join. But we, we went out for a drink together, and over the course of that evening, I'd taken eight cans of various non-alcoholic drinks, mostly Freedam, which your mate Chris recommended, um, which I've, I've started drinking quite a bit of, some, uh, some Moretti alcohol-free, and I ran out quite early in the evening. I ended up going... You did eight cans? I went across to the shop and got another four and finished those as well. Although they were Heineken Zero, the only non-alcoholic drink in their fridge. That feels like you're going back in time when you go to Heineken Zero. <laughs> well, as an aside, I went over to the shop just as they were closing about nine o'clock, and they'd been open all day on a sunny day with people drinking opposite on the common. The fridge was pretty much empty, apart from a four-pack of <laughs> Heineken Zero <laughs> that had clearly been there for the last month. When you bought it, did he point out it was non-alcoholic? No, he didn't. He didn't. Did he say, you do know that there's no alcohol in that? Or he just, well, he just took the money? I don't care if he's got it wrong. <laughs> yeah, he just smiled at me. <laughs> um, it did remind me, uh, I don't know if I've told this story before on the podcast, but when... I went skiing with school at about the age of 11 and it was mostly sort of 16 year olds, a few kids from younger in the school were allowed to go. And in the hotel one evening, they sent the youngest boy on the trip off to the off license to go and get some booze so everyone could drink in their rooms. And this kid, uh, I'm sure his name was uh, Matt Fallon. I'm sorry, Matt, if it wasn't you, but I'm sure it was Matt. (laughs) And uh, he came back and he proudly presented this case of beer he'd bought in the shop and someone went you've not been doing french for long have you I'm like why he went sans alcohol mate means no alcohol <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that was my first experience of non-alcoholic beer um you were always made for this gig weren't you you were always made for this gig yeah so we had a night on the common but i drank a lot of beer so in answer to your question could I keep up with the pace? Yeah, I absolutely could. My proviso being that the pub's got some half-decent uh, non-alcoholic beers in. Which I think those ones will have. Yeah, I think they'll be okay. We, we've there. drunk in those before and they've got a good offering. So, Can I ask you a question on it? Go on. Quickly. If you, if you look in the paper today, everyone's jumping on my bandwagon, by the way. I, I, <clears throat> I was doing this way before, like most things I do. There's loads of articles. I'm looking at the Times. I've just opened it. Let us in. It's time to return to the pub. It's not about the booze. It's all about the people from Janice Turner. People talking about how much they love the pub, drinking in the pub. Weren't doing that in January or February. No interest in it whatsoever. As a non-drinker, as someone who is committed to a year's non-drinking, are you as excited as going back to the pub as not say me, because I don't think anyone's as excited as me, <laughs> but as, as, as you would have been maybe this time last year. I am. I'm genuinely excited to be back in the pub. And it is interesting on this experiment that it isn't because of the drinking. So this, this headline from uh, Ms Turner, it's not about the booze, it's all about the people. Yeah, she, I, think she's both, right. I think we both found that, She's we? right. I think what's interesting is, and my, my question back to you would be, how much did you enjoy or not enjoy 
our drink in the park the other day because I I actually really enjoyed it. There were seven, definitely only six, of um, you know my good friends uh, sat. It was a pleasant evening. I think one of the things that I'd really missed was there were lots of people on the common. I mean, there must have been a thousand people in that section. Easily, we, we, it we was were ridiculous, like Glastonbury. And there was that background hum of chat that I haven't heard in months. And it's that noise, that soundtrack to the pub of other people's conversations. Like, that created an atmosphere, even in the outdoor setting of the park. Okay, so the, the, when I got there, the first half an hour, no, I didn't enjoy it. I was sat on the floor, and it just didn't feel right. You know, it felt like going camping. And you know what I feel about going camping. You know, it's it's up there with country dancing and incest. I mean, I just can't stand it. <laughs> Things you only do on Saturdays. <laughs> yeah. So so at the start, no, I wasn't quite getting it. I don't even like sitting in a pub garden, to be honest, When it's even when it's hot. I'm an inside man. I've said this before. As the time went on, and I don't know if it's because I haven't had it for so long, but you're right, there was a background noise and there were six of us. So the conversations like we talked about before were flowing from different people and you can move in and out. People were going to get stuff or visiting the bushes to do what you do in a bush nowadays, it seems. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot more. It was one of the best nights I've had for, for quite, quite a while. Oh. <laughs> Here comes a dog. Hang on. We've, we've been attacked. Hello, Callie. Uh, <laughs> Callie, let me go and take her back up. Hold on. Very excited. Hold on. I, I'm going to have to have a stop because we put a dog should, away. Should we just pause there for a second? We'll be back in a moment. <laughs> Callie! Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome back to Wet and Dry. <laughs> Callie's fine. Callie's fine. She's now back up in the uh, she's back up in the bedroom again. So that's my mental dog, who's also excited about the pub opening. So you were talk we were talking about whether I enjoyed it as much sitting on the common. So yeah, the start not so much, but after about forty five minutes, I got into it. The sitting on the garden didn't feel quite as bad. And like you say, it was the banter of the people there, the background noise. It felt pubish. That's the closest I've been to a pub. It's not the same as a pub. There was, there was definitely a point where I was chatting to a friend of ours, Atif, who had a heart attack last year. And the two of us were proudly saying, you know, look at all these young people sat on the common. <laughs> you know, we're just like them. And then we went to stand up. <laughs> and having been sat on the ground for about two hours. Yeah, that's the other issue. It's very difficult. And it's also very uncomfortable. Yeah, it's not. I mean, Jules had done well. Jules bought his garden chair. <laughs> he, he bought his camping chair. But even that makes him look really old because everyone else is laid out on a rug and enjoying it. And he's got his garden camping chair with a little area to put his pints. Oh, and he was really projecting a lifestyle. He had his Fortnum Mason cool bag and his Lord's pint glass. Um, it's just not the same. It's not the same. So, you know, I, I, I can't, and what I'm really pleased about is because I thought on the 4th of July it would be just beer gardens open. Which would have been fine, because like I tell you, I've been going out for drinks with people and finding a closed pub to buy my drinks from a pub, the takeaway, then going to find a closed pub that still has a beer garden open and sitting in the beer garden, so I feel like I'm still out. But now I know I'm going to be inside, and I'm going to be inside. I had another scenario last night. Can I tell you my other scenario? The cruelest scenario it could be. I want to know what you'd do in this situation. Go on. It's the 4th of July. I go to bed early. It's like Christmas Day. In bed at 9.30. 3rd of July, then. 3rd of July, yeah. I'm going to bed, getting ready for the next day. 
don't want Santa to come before I'm asleep. I get up early, I have my shower, I pace the house all day because I'm just waiting for the 12 o'clock start when I can go in. 11.15, phone goes, or text goes, or message goes, I don't know which one it is. You have been in contact, this is test and trace, <laughs> you have been in contact with someone who has the coronavirus. You need to self-isolate for 14 days. What do I do? What would you do? Oh, you know what I'd do. I mean, <laughs> I, bought, I bought non-alcoholic beer to our recording on the common because the rules say we couldn't have a beer. I'd be staying at home. What would you be doing is the question. <laughs> I mean, so I thought about this last night and as much as I don't like rules, I have been pretty good with lockdown. I probably went out more than I should have. Hang on, do you, do you get told who it is who's got it on those test and trace calls? Because I think then you could take a judgment of, oh, do you know what? We were outside. I didn't actually touch I don't know. Them. That's the thing. And I remember I didn't go to the pub that last Friday when you could go. And they said, don't go, but we're not shutting them until the next day. I, I didn't go. I want pubs to be open, not just a one-off. So I think I'd have to, I'd have to adhere to the, to the quarantine. I would cry. Also, it being you. If you get a message on July the 4th that says, this is test and trace, you've been in contact with someone, I'd say there's a 99.9% chance that's someone having a laugh. I know, that's a thing too. I mean, that, that was my only other thing. I reckon I'm going to get loads of those on. Oh. I mean, they're going to go beep, 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 beep. I could probably put it down as, oh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a, I don't, if I knew it was real, I would, but I'd be... I'd be as sad as most upset I've been ever. Yeah, look, I mean, the, the headline is July the 4th, we'll both be in the pub. I'll possibly sat in my own group of four, <laughs> having not been invited to yours. We'll find out later. But I, I am really looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to just a two-hour sit-down chat with mates. I think what's nice is we've, we've actually met up enough in the last few weeks as things got slightly more relaxed. And we've talked about the whole awfulness of the last three months. I feel like we've got that conversation out of the way. And you know so what? So actually we last, can have a normal yeah, day out. I thought last week, last weekend, when we went to the common, that got that out of the way. That got that done. So yeah, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be nice. Uh, July the 4th, I expect we'll do a special episode of this podcast. We've got to. We've got to. Now, are we, are we talking about the guest today? Yeah, exciting guest today, actually. A really Hold on, before guest. we do the guest, can I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, we we I've had a couple of people ask me about it. It's a survey because you you're, uh, yeah. you're a survey man. You're in charge of so I've not even seen it. You put it out there, and a few people have texted me and said or WhatsApp me and said, "When's the survey coming on?" It's funny you should mention that. I happen to have it in front of me. <laughs> boom, boom. Um, well, let me give a quick plug to uh, Fergus, who we will be chatting to later. Fergus in, in is the wonderful. Um, One of my favourite ever guests. We had a chat with Fergus yesterday. He's the head brewer at Adnams. He's a master brewer. I was really looking forward to speaking to Fergus because, apart from anything else, I just want to know what's in non-alcoholic beer uh, and how it's different. Can to... I say it's quite a surprise how they do it? Yeah, I, I don't really know what I was... I don't think I had any... Uh, I don't don't think... give it away. Well, I hadn't... I hadn't drawn any conclusions in my head. I don't know how normal beer is made, if I'm perfectly no, honest. I. So I certainly hadn't spent any time imagining how non-alcoholic beer was made. But uh, he does clarify that for us. He has got some surprising insights yeah. into non-alcoholic beer, and that is coming up later. But first, the survey. Now, I'll be honest, I wrote most of these questions, 
There's a couple in here that you wrote. <laughs> well, there's two. I mean, we're going to do a, an episode on it, aren't we? We're going to go yeah, through it. I've got to, I've I got just to properly go, I've dive only, into the numbers yet. I've, I've only got two questions I'm particularly interested in, and maybe one other one. Can I ask about them? Yeah, go on. I, I, I can give you headlines on these numbers. At the <laughs> do you know the two I'm going to ask? Let me scroll down to them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the first one was, if someone was introduced to you as a non-drinker, would it affect your impression of them? And he gave, you gave options, didn't you? I did. So we gave three options on that one. Yes, it would affect it. Tick. Positively. <laughs> oh, cross. <laughs> yes, it would affect it, but negatively. Tick. And no, it wouldn't change my opinion of them at Fence all. What did we go with? Well, the vast majority, almost two-thirds, said it wouldn't affect my, their opinion of them at all. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And, and 8%, thank you, Mum, uh, said it would, it would actually positively affect their impression of someone if That's they found out they were a family. It's just um, your family. Do you know what? My parents both refused to take this survey. Because they drink well, so much. They, well, no, they're completely teetotal. Oh, like, there's no rubbish. point in us taking yeah. it. So I did say, have you done the survey yet? We've got nothing to say on your survey. <laughs> and then the other... 20, the other one? Well, the 26% said it would negatively affect their impression of someone. Okay, 26%. Yeah, which is probably quite a high number. It's nice that people have been honest. I guess, if I'm looking for a positive there. But if I was introduced to a quarter of our audience as a non-drinker... They'd be like, no, I don't want anything to do with him. They have immediately disliked me. <laughs> do you know what? I'm concerned that was someone just coming on your yeah, phone yeah. saying they dislike you. <laughs> I mean, that was that was quite kind to me in comparison to the other questions. This is the question that, that I most want to know. Does your anticipated enjoyment of an evening decrease if you think your friend won't be drinking? It's such a good question. That's quite brutal. Well, this, this seems to have split our audience. Oh, is it closer? It's much closer, actually. Go I mean, on. It's 58-42 split. You know, it's almost Brexit, isn't it, this? Uh, <laughs> it's almost a referendum. Which way, Jeff? Well... 58% of our audience say their anticipated enjoyment of please, an evening please, please. would decrease <laughs> if they knew their friend wouldn't be drinking. 58 said it would decrease? Yeah, they would look forward to an evening less Get if they in. knew their friend was going to be not going to be drinking. Can I just put my headphones down and run around the garden? <laughs> so yeah, that's not great news, if I'm honest. And, and again... I'm staggered. <sighs> I'm, I'm staggeredly. We did ask people to be honest with this survey, and it is great that people have been because that allows us to have this conversation. Hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Let's just let, let's just rewind there. Just so you know, over half of your friends, Jeff, when they know you're turning up before they leave the house, go. God, Jeff's coming. Jeff's coming. Over <laughs> half of your friends. So last on the common, there were seven of us, or six or seven. At least four were like, "Oh, Jeff's coming." How does that make you feel? Now, this is the point where I get to highlight some ambiguity in the question. Go uh, on. Does that diminish over time? Because in January, I think that was probably true. I think now, as we sit here in June, I think it is less true. Yeah. Okay, for me it is. So I think if you've got a friend who normally drinks and they say, I'm not drinking Hold tonight. On. Give me the figure. Give me the split again. 58-42. <laughs> <laughs> thing I've heard all week. I've got, I've got until the next episode to dive into these numbers and find something positive. 
Um, I'm just loving the fact that people from Switzerland, Uruguay, all around the world are depressed when they know you're coming out with them. Do you know what? One of the things I have to do now with these numbers, and half half of my degree was stats, so I will enjoy doing this, but I, I get to split that into female listeners and male listeners and to see how that affects the answer to that question. It'd be very interesting. What's your prediction? Be, be heavily biased towards that the, the people who who think that their night's going to be worse be heavily biased towards men i think most of those 42 percent who who aren't fussed by someone not drinking i think that's mostly women yeah me too me too well we'll find out we'll find out next time once i've had a, a slightly I, deeper dive. i'm generally shocked by that for that that it's also made my day what we've gained from that is kids listen if you don't drink you'll be less popular Get on the booze and have more friends. So there's one other I wanted to mention. Oh, the rules. I'll do the rules. The one I wanted to mention was how the lockdown has affected your alcohol Ooh, consumption. Good one, good one, good because one. this is something that's been reported quite a lot in the papers about, you know, beer sales in supermarkets proving that people are drinking much more than usual. And again, this this is a really complicated split on this. It, it certainly isn't as clear that people are drinking more. 50% of the people who answered this question said, yes, they are drinking more than they usually do. But the other 50% not. And that is roughly split between people drinking the same and people drinking less than they would normally do. It's almost 50-50 people drinking the same or less and people drinking more. And I don't entirely know what to draw from that other than to say it isn't as clear as you sort of read in the papers. So it, that's a really interesting and, again, something I want to dive into. And then the other one that I will mention this week, because there are some lovely answers. We asked, do you have a drinking operating system, as, as Bruce called as it? As that came, came from Bruce, didn't it? Or, you know, a rule that you live by, for example, I only drink at weekends. So we asked that question and there were some Give really some interesting... Give us some other good ones. There's one person here who says, in every week I have to have 72 hours straight where I don't have a drink and it doesn't matter when they come. I think that's good. That's nice. This is quite a complicated one. So they have, they're only allowed four drinks a week, although they've upped that to five during the lockdown. Uh, they're never allowed more than one in a night and they can't bank them and it resets on a Sunday night. So hold on, they're only allowed five a week. Five a week. So if they only have no three this week, they night. can't carry two over into the following so week. So they can only have one a night? They can only have one a night. My, if I was going out with that person... My, my anticipated enjoyment of the night would drop massively. <laughs> they're having the one pie and then they're on the softest. So there's some others in here. You know, this person says they have at least three alcohol-free days a week. See, I like that one. I think that's good. I try to only drink at weekends and I don't have any more than three beers on a day. They have then said afterwards, I'm always failing at the moment. <laughs> um, someone says no two consecutive days of drinking. See, I know someone else who does that. I think that's probably quite good. I remember we, when we spoke to Dr. Will and, and my brother, that, that was something that in the pub afterwards came up that, you know, just naturally common sense, give it a break. I like that. Any other good ones? Yeah, I guess, I mean, there's variations on that every other night. Um, does any, does anyone only go? drinking at weekends. Does, does anyone go like, I just get hammered except for Monday? <laughs> does anyone throw that in? Tried to have eight pints every night except for Friday, have ten. Yeah, no, there's no, uh, it's not It's not like water. <laughs> Try to have at least six pints every day. Um, Always have a pint before I go to bed. <laughs> only drinking at weekend is the most popular answer in that. So there's something in that. And, and especially because as I look towards what I might do next year, you know, only drinking at weekends is 
is around. Uh, I quite like the idea of no two consecutive days. I mean, I guess it limits you to four days a week, really, doesn't it? So, yes, so that's the survey, and we'll come back to that. See, can I just point out, in this lockdown, with a lot of people furloughed, a lot of people not working, and then pubs were shut for a little bit, then they did takeouts, the big difference has been that people did, I think, someone who goes to the pub a lot on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday, my favourite days because they're quieter, the Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday on the commons have been packed. It's like every day's been a Friday or a Saturday, which is very different. Because even when people in the holidays and the sun, you don't get many Monday night drinkers. You just get your professionals and your street drinkers doing your Mondays. But Monday could be a Friday now. So <laughs> it'll be interesting to see what yeah. happens when we go back. Well, look, the survey is still open. So if you do fancy adding your thoughts into it, it's at uh, wetanddrypodcast.com. Final word on it, because I know you're fascinated. Responses from UK, America, Switzerland, Australia, Canada, Spain, the UAE and Ireland. Do we get any from Uruguay? I don't think we did get any from Uruguay. Come on, Uruguay. I think they're busy. It's, it's quite bad in Uruguay. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, look, I, I, will, I, I won't yeah, do this now. You need to go this. I won't do this now. I'll, I'll put it away. Uh, I'll close my laptop and we'll come back to that. <laughs> in the next episode uh, in the meantime we should get to our guest yeah so i won't say too much more other than to say that we have had some brilliant job titles on this podcast when we went to hayman's we spoke to the global brand ambassador of I've, hayman's distillery i think he wrote that himself <laughs> we had a consultant hepatologist on one episode dr will what was katie's job title at camera I don't know, but didn't you make her change it at the start? She was she was basically like head of beer for camera, wasn't yeah. she? So we've had some good job titles. We've had some very good job titles. But none of them come anywhere close to the master brewer, the head of brewing at Adnams Brewery. <laughs> the Harry Potter of brewers. Is it true, Fergus? I noticed that you won... Brewer of the Year. I have one Brewer of the Year, yeah. I've got, a, I've got a mug somewhere around that says exactly that. I can't remember where I've put it. So basically, you are the best person at making booze in the entire country. Yeah, absolutely. That's what that means. <laughs> well, Fergus, thank you for joining us. What an absolute privilege. Very delighted you asked me on. I'm, I'm intrigued to see where this goes. Well, I'm afraid the first thing I need to ask is a technical question, and I need to know what I'm actually drinking. I've been sampling a few different Adnams beers. I've tried the Soul Star alcohol free, and I've tried the Ghost Ship 0.5. What is the actual difference between a non alcoholic beer and, shall we say, a proper beer. <laughs> uh, well, they're actually quite different beers themselves, Soul Star and Ghost Ship 0.5. So I don't know how much you know about how non-alcoholic beer is made. Shall I start there? <laughs> well, yeah. Someone in a recent podcast said that non-alcoholic beer is the healthiest thing you can drink in a pub other than water. It's healthier than water. <laughs> Definitely. So we, we make it in a couple of ways. So, so Ghost Ship 0.5, we start off with a normal beer uh, and then we take some of that beer and then we take the alcohol out. So it's brewed exactly the same way. All the flavours are exactly the same. And then we put it through a process that basically filters the alcohol. You take the alcohol out. How do you do that? Well, magic, basically, uh, is, is how we like to describe it. 
the more technical term is called reverse osmosis, but that's just a fancy name for filtering. Did you know that, Jeff? No, I had no idea. <laughs> so the, the so essentially, when people think of beer, you have to understand that the a lot of the flavour from beer isn't just coming from the raw materials. It's not just coming from the hops and the barley and the water and the yeast. Uh, a lot of it's coming from the fermentation. Uh, so letting the yeast actually turn sugar into alcohol makes a lot of flavours that we don't even realise. So there's thousands of compounds in there that add up to the flavour in each individual beer. So when you're trying to recreate a, a version of an alcoholic beer and make it non-alcoholic, the best way of doing it is let the process complete normally, let it ferment normally, make the alcohol like you'd normally make it, and then take the alcohol away. And we do it very gently. We do it sort of under low temperatures. Um, so it keeps all the flavors as fresh as possible, really. So that's the way we do it. And it takes a little bit longer than normal beer. So we can't complete it in a Friday afternoon. It has to run into Saturday. <laughs> so does the alcohol itself taste of anything? Are we losing anything when you take that out of a non-alcoholic beer? Uh, so not necessarily. So alcohol itself doesn't taste, but what it does is it changes how other flavors sort of combine together and other flavors work. So it does change. So taking the alcohol out does change the flavor, uh, but not necessarily because the alcohol itself has flavor. It's just changing how everything else interacts with each other. So we do have to tweak things a little bit to try and make sure that we can make up for the sort of the absence of the alcohol and what it's doing in the beer. Does it annoy you that you have to spend all that time making it? Because, you know, you're a master of your craft. Adnams is a well-known brewery that's survived the test of time producing these wonderful beers you're a master brewer yeah you've won brewer of the year you shouldn't be spending your time making non-alcoholic nonsense does it annoy you do people like <laughs> jeff annoy you no absolutely get it off not, your jeff. chest get it jeff, off your chest jeff i don't know who this guy i don't know what you have him on the podcast for. but no we love it and so so one of the true tests, I don't know if you've ever, if anyone who's ever worked in any food or drink manufacturing, the true test of whether something is worth producing it is whether the people who make it actually drink it. And the brewers at the end of the shift, they go into, well, when pubs were open, obviously it's a little bit different right now, but the brewers at the end of the shift, when, when they went to the pub after work, they would drink some non-alcoholic beer. Maybe not all the time, maybe not every day, but they drank it. They drank it regularly. So that tells me that people have pride in what they're doing and it's a good product. So for me, that, that makes it worth doing. How long have you been a brewer at Adnams, Fergus? Since 2004, I think. And, well, that's the first part of the question. The second part is, how has non-alcoholic beer changed in that time? So when I first started, I think non-alcoholic beer was considered a, a sort of joke, really. Uh, so like everyone's impressions of non-alcoholic beer was pretty poor. I think the techniques that people used, but also the interest. I think consumers weren't really interested in non-alcoholic beer. Uh, and it, it is sort of a chicken and egg thing. You, I think to get interest in beer, you have to, in that sort of style of beer, you have to give them something that's good. And then that encourages people to drink it more and they become more interested in the flavor. And that improves the flavor of non-alcoholic beer. So I think we're in, we're in that nice cycle now where there's more and more people interested in it. And that drives the quality up and drives the, the sort of amount of flavor you can get up because there is demand for it now but yeah certainly if when if i go back to when i first started uh, into the brewing industry non-alcoholic beer was completely dismissed by most breweries and even even up to sort of three four years ago when we were started really getting into sort of uh, looking at how we can make a better non-alcoholic beer the wider wider brewing community for the want of a better word we're still pretty skeptical of it 
Um, and I think brewers who have been around for a lot longer than me have been in non-alcoholic before and it sort of came in a phase and it went away and the interest that people had in it went away because the quality was never there. But I think I think we're truly, this is definitely a better time to be going into sort of non-alcoholic beer because there is really good quality. There is really nice drinks out there that if, if you like the taste of beer, that there are some good alternatives for you. And I expect you to know this off the top of your head, Fergus. What about quantities? What's the difference between now and when you first started, how much more are you making? Uh, well, so when, when I first started, we didn't make any non-alcoholic beer. Um, we started Soul Star, I think, about five years ago now. Uh, well, at five years to get it to sort of 0.9%. That was probably you know, less than 1% of what we did. Ghost Ship 0.5 is now up to about 7% of our, our total volume. The interesting thing with, uh, with Ghost Ship is when we first did this podcast, we met in a pub in January to discuss it. And it was a lot of dry January. And the Rose and Crown, our local, had Ghost Ship on tap. It actually, you know, it, it was a very nice pint. It, it tasted, it tasted good. And like I said to Jeff at the time, I probably couldn't have told the difference apart from the fact they had a, a big sign saying, "If you're dry, get it here." You know, it, <laughs> it, I don't think that was, and like you said, that was never the case before. It was always an afterthought. It felt like. Oh yeah, totally. And there was never any choice either. So you go to a pub and there was one non-alcoholic option and that was it, unless you considered tea and coffee. Um, but yeah. apart from that, it was, you know, there was one choice and it, it was usually a lager. I think that's the other thing that's changed now. There is more choice. So usually you'll go to a place now that there is some non-alcoholic lager, but there's usually an ale as well. Hopefully go ship, but there are other ales out there now as well. So I think the choice is much better. And you'd expect that as the quality gets better and, and more people get into it, that you would expect there to be more than just one option. If you went to a bar and there was just one alcoholic beer you'd be pretty peeved off so same same thing with non-alcoholic beer you expect there to be a choice and i think the more people get into the category the more people like the drinks and the better the choice would be as well in terms of can i just ask a question about the lockdown um it's most of your product sold in pubs that you supplied to or is it direct to home or is it in supermarkets and if so have you had to slow your process down or is that something you can even do yeah, I presume you take a while to make a, a, the, the kegs or whatever it be so how have you managed that process that must be quite difficult yeah uh, yeah I mean I think so before before we went into the sort of lockdown we sold about 50% of our beer through pubs and 50% into into sort of supermarkets uh, we had we have a web uh, and we, we had some shops although we did sh at the same time we shut the pubs we, we shut the shops anyway um, so the web business has grown phenomenally uh, which is great uh, we're just sort of working how we how we keep that where it is I am a first-time customer of oh, Adnams excellent. online during excellent. this lockdown. I achieved what I thought would be difficult, which wasn't actually at all, which is the £80 threshold for good. free delivery. <laughs> so, yeah, so I can absolutely vouch for that. That's good. Uh, so, But obviously the, the sales to uh, the sort of supermarkets has definitely grown as well. Uh, but we did have, we have to, we obviously had to cut back because even with all, even with the growth in web and the growth on supermarkets, it's nowhere near the volume we would normally make. Uh, but brewing is a sort of batch process so essentially we just we just brew less batches um so it's it's not too difficult to tailor back it's quite difficult to, to sort of shut down a brewery completely and then restart because we essentially what we're doing is we're growing yeast all the time so you could think think of it like a sort of a, a farm really we're growing yeast and as a byproduct we happen to have some beer um sometimes that beer is non-alcoholic but it's it's the byproduct of growing yeast so if we have to stop brewing altogether then our yeast our yeast dies and it, then it takes us a long time to get that yeast cultured and going again so we're, we're fortunate that we had we had quite strong sales anyway in terms of in terms of bottling cans but it, it's still it's still a difficult process to manage you know what i was thinking earlier on you said 
when you brew the non-alcoholic lager, you brew it normally and take the alcohol out. Yeah. What you need to do is come up with some sort of take that forward. So you could when I before I'm going home to my wife, maybe you could take the alcohol out of me <laughs> in some sort of similar way. I mean, that, that's the best of both worlds, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. Adnans, that's a new business for Adnans. We can, I'll go it. into that with you if you want, Fergus, me and you. Yeah. We'll make Thank millions. I, th I, think, I think you might have to stump up the cash in the first place, though, if that's all right. <laughs> now, this is a big question, Fergus. Uh, you need to help us out on this. This came up in a previous episode, and you are the man best placed to answer it. Is there a difference between the beer you get in a can or a bottle and the beer that comes out of a tap in a pub? Please say yes. Please say yes. Yeah, yes and no. So going in is usually exactly the same beer. Sometimes you can have different products on keg to bottle and can. Uh, and, and certainly historically, that was quite common to have sort of lower strength beers in keg and higher strength sort of beers in, in bottle and can. But that's much less common now. So usually if it's the same beer going in, um, but they tend to be treated slightly differently. Um, for bottles and cans, you sort of have to treat the beer because to remove some proteins and polyphenols because typically you want to put a year's shelf life on that can or bottle uh, because that's essentially how the, the supply chain in the UK used to work. I think over the last couple of months that's been proven it doesn't have to work like that. Um, but And in keg, typically because you're turning it over pretty quickly, you don't have to treat it the same way. So it is treated a little bit differently because it's expected to last a bit a bit longer in bottle and can than it is in keg. Um, so typically that might mean in keg uh, that the that there's more flavour sometimes. So you might those proteins and polyphenols they they sound like weird things, but essentially they're, they're all they are is flavour compounds really, and and they they add to mouthfeel and, and stuff like that. So uh, it's those things that are slightly different uh, between keg and and sort of bottle or can, uh, and then you have cast beer on top of that, which is which is completely different uh, it's not filtered it's so it's basically straight out of straight out of the tank at the brewery into a cask and then into the pub cellar so it, it's it's like coming to the brewery and drinking straight out of the tanks here so that that is different again so th there are differences um, so that the answer is yes and no Fergus you have completely vindicated Matt's 30 year held belief I could see that that beer in a pub tastes better than beer at home it's true it's true <laughs> beer in the pub tastes much better the pint is far better there is um, maybe it was in my head now now i'm feeling it wasn't that, that that it's just a much better pint than if you buy a tin and sit at home yeah i think that i think there are there are differences i would i would suspect a lot of it though is 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 sort of social really so a lot of what we think is flavor isn't actually to do with the flavor of the thing you're drinking it's just to do with where you are the people you're sitting around with so if, you, if you've ever been on holiday to some crappy warm island where you're drinking some rubbish bottled beer usually it tastes fantastic and it's got nothing to do with the actual product it's to do with where you are who you're with uh, and that's always true all right let's expand this out from beer slightly Adnams don't just do beer i have a bottle of copper house gin sitting on the top in my kitchen right now but you haven't gone into non-alcoholic spirits at all, have you? No, we haven't. We, we've had we've had some regular conversations about it. Um, so we, we sort of know what we'd do if we wanted to make one. I think it's for us, it's still a bit... I think there are some good alternatives out there for spirits if you wanted to go into the non-alcoholic version. But actually, I think there's some really good good sodas and tonic waters so typically with spirits you're mixing with something anyway so it's it's less like with beer where you're, you're not drinking the, the product as it as it comes out of the brewery or the distillery in this case so i, I think there are some really good alternatives it for for people who like spirits um so i'm not sure it's a category we we think 
we want to get into just yet. I think I think the ones that are out there are good. Um, I'm just not sure it's for us at the moment. I'm fascinated by your job, Fergus. How do you become a master brewer? Uh, um, so what did I do? So I, I liked science when I was a kid. Um, so I, I when I left school, I, I did a biotechnology, uh, and so biotechnology involves a li- uh, sort of looking at looking at how we use microbes, basically, um, in sort of in, in industry and food, particularly. Uh, I spent I spent a summer working in a dairy where I had to put put cheese that had been stored at about I think 50 degrees Celsius. So we had an incubator at 50 degrees Celsius, put some cheese in it, and then my job every Monday morning was to take the cheese out of the incubator, put it through something called a stomacher which is a machine that squishes the cheese, basically trying to mimic what happens in your stomach, makes it into a liquid. And then I take that liquid and I would plate it out and see if any bugs grew in it to see if it was going to be safe to send to Saudi Arabia or wherever they were sending it. Uh, And the smell from that cheese that had been stored at 50 degrees Celsius on a Monday morning was the most horrible thing I could have possibly imagined. So I decided I didn't want to do that. Um, So I had an opportunity to go and work at a brewery uh, on a a sort of six-month contract. Loved it. Absolutely loved brewing. Loved the, the the sort of whole process of making beer, and decided that's what I wanted to do. So, so after the sort of lab job I had at, at this brewery in London, uh, I sort of became my permanent career and sort of moved up out of the lab into into the production side. Did various brewing exams while I was there, uh, and then a job came up at Adnams for assistant brewer and went for it. So we, we knew some people around the area, lovely part of the world, great company. They were really investing heavily in, in the, the brewery at the time, loved what they were planning to do with the place uh, in terms of moving it forward into, into, this, into this century because we were sort of replacing uh, sort of old Victorian equipment with sort of modern equipment. Yeah, and then the head brewer uh, retired, uh, I think 2008. Um, and then for, for whatever reason, as I, I was the, the, the incumbent brewer, uh, they asked me to be head brewer. So yeah, that's where I am. When I was at school, my, my I remember very clearly my year head saying, Pennington, you'll never achieve anything in this world, yeah? <laughs> and he was so right, yeah? Completely 100% <laughs> right, spot on. However, I, I was drinking, it's your Jack Brand lager, mm-hmm. which is really good. I, and I've been drinking a bit of it recently. And I read that you came up with it, you and your team. I mean, if I could yep. have done one thing, how would you go about creating a lager inventing a lager i mean what, what's the process of doing that so it's it's cooking basically so i i like making things i've always liked making stuff so it's, it, you have to think of it like cooking making a recipe and that's exactly what it is it's a recipe you start off with some raw ingredients you've got an idea of the the flavor you want to get to and it's you need to learn there's a bit of learning your craft obviously learning learning of how many how many levers to pull to try and get to that that end flavor uh, but it's a combination of of working with raw raw ingredients um, and having a picture of that flavor that you want to get to at the end and having enough control of the process that you can consistently get to that that flavor at the end because you can often you can often get to a really good place um one one off but it's having enough control of the process to be able to consistently do it is, is usually the tricky bit in brewing and basically the whole of this interview has been preamble to this one question as we sit here days ahead of the pubs reopening <laughs> do you have enough trucks is there enough beer to see us through Independence Day on the 4th of July? Are you ready for us? I think so. It's, it's, we had to sort of uh, decide for ourselves a couple of weeks ago that we were going to start making beer for pubs again, uh, even though we didn't know 
for definite they were going to open. We we sort of couldn't wait any longer. So we're we're really glad to get the announcement today. Uh, but we we sort of already decided a few weeks ago that we needed to get ready for it. So we will have enough beer. We think we we will definitely have enough gin. I think we've never stopped making gin. So yeah, I think we're okay. I'm going to try and prove you wrong on that. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that. And on that note, I think uh, thank you very much for, Cheers, for joining us. That was us. fantastic. It is tradition on this podcast that we finish with a cheers so a genuinely thank you and cheers cheers, cheers. all right it's not quite over because we have to do this you know what i had a definite answer earlier i'm changing now because you're here <laughs> well i'm gonna push you for an answer am i in your four <sighs> No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just feel... I just feel... <laughs> I just feel now, especially after the earlier question, I don't want the other three's anticipated enjoyment of the evening to drop. I just feel that you're taking up a space that other people should need. You knew when you were going through this process that there would be some downsides. You put yourself forward. And, and, and I just feel that, you know, I've got to be honest... No, you're not in, mate. I can't look you in the eye. Um, <laughs> and and on that note, uh, Callie's back. Callie, can I be can I be in your four? Can I be in your? You'll have me, won't you? You'll have me. Yes, Jeff, you Jeff, will. Jeff. Oh, you know what? I will get you in. I will get you in. That's my wife now. <laughs> if there is anybody listening who's got a spare place in their four. Uh, Could someone else book a table near us? I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Jeff, I'll let you in. I'm kidding. I'll let you in. Just... <laughs> All right, we need to chat. Uh, okay. See you next time. See you next time. Cheers. Cheers.